It's important so that people on the web can hear them because uh, the word testimony means to do again. So when you hear a testimony, the reason God says, tell your children the mighty acts of God is so the next generation will know to praise me too. And so when you hear a testimony, the faith that caused that miracle to happen the first time can enter your heart, produce that same level of faith, and then you can believe God for that miracle as well. And so that's why it's important that our testimonies, the real ones that are really God, get out there so people can hear them and their faith is inspired to believe God for their situation. So one of the teenagers was in the youth group and he said, God, uh, I want you to give me more of your anointing to do your will. And suddenly a deep pain entered his left shoulder. So he asked, Lord, is, if this is a sign that someone in the youth group has an injury to the left shoulder, I pray that you tell me who it is. Then all of a sudden, Sam, the name Sam, popped into his mind. So he looked for him. And Sam was in another room. So Christopher walked up to him and said, excuse me, Sam, but do you in any way have an injury to your left shoulder? Sam looked around astonished and gazed around as though he was on candid camera and said, how did you know that? And Christopher laughed and said, yesterday I was, uh, Sam says, yesterday I was on my back fixing my sink. And as I turned funny to reach up higher, my left shoulder popped out and I've been in deep pain ever since. Um, And so Christopher laid hands on him and prayed a simple prayer, said, how do you feel? Sam said, to be honest, it's it's getting better. And then Sam went, uh, Christopher went home, told Tim and Michelle, they prayed. And then that next morning, Christopher left Tim's office where they were praying. And eight o'clock in the morning, 8.05, came running back excited. Sam just texted him and said, Christopher, my shoulder is completely healed. Very great. So, uh. So God's moving in the youth. Here's another testimony from a, uh, uh, um, somebody here in our congregation. Uh, their company said to him um, the same thing they've been saying the last two years, that um, they are, you know, um, pay cuts, not matching 401Ks, that whole thing. And yet uh, this uh, member of our church said that his prayer was that he would be honoring God with his attitude at work that he would be closer to God, that he would glorify God in the way he worked, his work ethic, his attitude, even though things were negative around the office. Well, within 24 hours later of praying that at the men's group, his boss calls him in his office and says, even though it was decided that no raises or bonuses were going out this year again due to the tough economic times that his company is in, that the president and the upper management decided to award a very select few a cash bonus for the work they did this past year, which they deemed was work which is directly helping the company come out of this slump through the success of some new products that are being developed. He then told them, I'm one of those individuals. And he said he can count on one hand the number of people that got this bonus in the company. Actually, less than one hand. And so as we've been praying for bonuses and raises and increase in the midst of this economic climate, uh, we pray that sincerely believing because God is Jehovah Jireh. He is not limited by the natural economy. God's only limited by his economy in heaven, which is limitless. And so as we draw heaven on earth, uh, God responds. Uh, another testimony is a uh, couple that are in business here in our congregation. And we prayed together on the phone in January. They're telling me about how things are going upside down. And, you know, same story many have. And they emailed and said... January, it says we had probably the best January we've ever had and is in the top five for a 30-day period ever in the past 21 years. It says in January, they produced almost half of what they did all of last year. (laughs) Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Yeah, that's in a recession. So... Let's just thank God that he is moving in our church and doing supernatural things and blessing us. Father, we thank you so much that when we throw out extreme prayers, you give us back extreme answers. You have said that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. Of I pray for those in this congregation who are not believing you, that are not praying those crazy prayers, that are not drawing near to you. And uh, Father, I pray today that you break any unbelief, fear, doubt, and cause us to be a people of faith walking with the living God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we are in a series right now on hearing God's voice. God's word for our church this year is hearing his voice. And he said that for me to tell you a couple weeks ago, tell them I'm going to open their ears. And so this, this can raise controversy. 
Uh, some people feel they never hear God. You are. You just don't recognize it. Some people feel they're hearing God in every little, tiny, little, tiny, little thing. And a lot of that is not the Lord. Um, and I know that offends some of you for me to say that. But look, we want it to be real. We want to be able to decipher down the voice of God and the will of the Lord. And so you always have to process what you feel you're hearing with those around you. I do it all the time with the leadership of this church. And so we want to uh, make sure that as we are dealing with this C4, this dynamite, hearing the voice of God, that we stay on uh, the right track in the middle of the road because it can be very subjective. And so we want to make sure that we're really hearing the voice of God and doing what he says because that's how you walk on water. Amen? And so what we decided as the elders team was some of the some of the different subjects we need to teach. And one of them is the multiple ways that God speaks. And so let's welcome our associate pastor, Mark Calpersmith, as he come and teaches us on this subject this morning. Oh, those are your notes. I need my notes. Well, no, if God's speaking to you, you wouldn't need them. Well, I'm about to explain why even though God speaks, you still need your notes. This is really important because John just used the phrase um, middle of the road. And middle of the road is, in our culture, in our world, uh, pejorative. It's a bad thing. You're just average if you're in the middle of the road. But I've discovered that being in the middle of the road is the best place to be. Because on both sides, there's a ditch or there's a, a cliff or whatever. And there's two different kinds of mistakes you can make on the whole subject of hearing God's voice. There are two schools of thought. One says that God speaks all the time on every issue that we face. The other says that he rarely speaks because he has given us the Bible, and if we would just use our minds, we can make right decisions from biblical principles most of the time. Do any of you know people that fall into these two camps? We tend, by the way by nature, to fall into one of these two camps. And there's two ditches on each side of the road, and one ditch is owned by one camp, and one ditch is owned by the other. There's no reason why we can't turn the volume up. We have the technology. Yeah, just, I just heard the voice of God. Turn it up! See, I've always known that both are wrong. I've always known that the God talks all the time, you're just not listening, school. And the God hardly ever talks. If you just use your brain and biblical principles, your life will be fine. I've always somehow inside of myself known that those two extremes are just plain wrong. If you try to live in one or the other all the time, you mess it up. The other day, Shelley asked me, we were talking about something, and it wasn't this, but she asked me for my definition of maturity. And out of my mouth came something I'd never heard before that I really was impressed by. (laughs) You know, this may strike you as funny, but but there's an experience you have sometime when someone asks you a question and out of your mouth comes something profound. And you go, it's almost like you look over your shoulder to see where the puppet hand was moving you. She asked me my definition of maturity. And this is what popped out of my mouth. Now, first, we'll look at the maturity as defined by the Bible, I, excuse me, as defined by the, by the dictionary. And one of the dictionary meetings is this, relating to a condition of full development, relating to a condition of full development. What popped out of my mouth was very similar to this, and it was this, when all of the faculties and abilities that God has designed into us are operating to their full potential. All of the faculties that he's designed into. What's interesting is that we have two faculties which God has designed into us that are contrary to one another in their frequency of operation and which we pay most attention to. They're both given by God to provide us with knowledge, but they operate completely differently. The first one we're going to look at is is Revelation. And here's my sort of working definition of revelation. Revelation is guidance we need for successful living that comes directly from God. Comfortable with that? All right. The other faculty, way of knowing, way of coming to understanding, 
is reason. And reason is equally guidance from God. Do you understand? It's no less guidance from God than revelation. Reason is this. Reason is guidance that comes from God through processing information. Look, if you speak with a Canadian or English accent, you seem to have more credibility, so I'm faking my way through this. Through processing or processing information which we have available to us naturally. For example, the principles from the Bible which need only to be read. Now, which... And applied. Marcia put that in. God bless her. Marcia is editing my sermon. And she's not here today to chew out about it. Man, isn't that great? Where you got a proofreader to go, Mark's an idiot. He should have said this. And she just scribbles it in. And she probably puts like confessions in there. Little asterisks. Mark is a fool. He's wrong on this point. She heard God. She reasoned it through. All right? Now, here's the problem with the church. Revelation, reason. Charismatics highly value the first, and evangelicals highly value the second. But both are incomplete if they ignore the other. Hello? So we... Somebody once wrote a book about the church, about his stream in the church, and the name of the book was In Search of the Radical Middle. I want that to sink in. In Search of the Radical Middle. Because the smartest, the safest, the most successful place to be in living your Christian life is a good balance between revelation and reason. All right? And we've got to go after that. What is interesting is that these two faculties actually have physiological foundation. Did you know that? The left side and the right side of the brain. They both process information completely differently. One is all about reason and the other is about revelation. It really is. So some of the spiritual gifts apply to the left brain. Things like teaching, administration, stuff like that. Some of the other spiritual gifts, prophecy, words of knowledge, insights, things like that, apply to the other, are perceived by the other. So even in our physiological makeup, we are designed to operate in these two sets of spiritual gifts. So having the arrogance that says, I don't need the other, is like saying, why don't I just cut my brain in half and throw half of it away? Hello? And it violates God's sovereign design for us. So it is obedient and honoring to Him that we maximize the potential of all of our abilities and faculties to the full measure that He has designed. Now that doesn't mean that we all are 50-50. Do you understand? Some people are more intuitive than they are reasoning. Some people live in a much more emotional world and others in a much more sort of reasoning world. That's not good or bad if it's true to the way you've been designed. Do you understand? I just have to... When, before I became a Christian, I became a Christian at the age of 28 when Jesus became Lord. I had my salvation ticket when I was five. I became a real Christian, Jesus is Lord, at 28. I had cried twice in my life by the age of 28. Once when my dog died in my arms after falling off a cliff and the other was when I lost this girl I was in love with on a five-year relationship and it sort of died and a part of me died with it. Two times after I became a Christian and the Holy Spirit began to work inside of me, I cried in worship every Sunday. Just tears and other fluids Freely flowing. And I would, I would, I, I mean, I, I, I cried once at Little House on the Prairie. I was so embarrassed. I mean, I was crying and little, I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I'm having a nervous breakdown. I'm becoming a woman. That was a scary thing then. What was happening was a faculty, a part of me, God designed, which had been completely squashed and held down 
by an entirely left-brained way of living, now the Holy Spirit was working and he was awakening all of these faculties, bringing them up. So all of a sudden experiences are happening to me that I had no context for. But I knew it was good. I got up to... I got up to do a sermon in front of a room full of people one time and I began to teach and I broke down and cried and I cried through the whole sermon. I mean, that's embarrassing, people. And when I looked out over the people, they were all crying. It was like the Spirit of God fell on that place. We've got to risk stepping outside of the little boundaries of our personality. We've got to risk taking a step outside of what's safe and secure and this is... You know, we all run around with, this is me and it's not changing. (laughs) Accept me the way I am and I'm not changing. Well, good luck on that. (laughs) You know, the marriage vows, I do and I won't. (laughs) Yes, I do and no, I won't change. And don't even think about trying. A little cynicism always kind of greases the wheel. Here's the problem. What this means is that there are many problems that God will not speak to us directly about because he wants to see us develop our minds. Come on. Come on, lazy people. Lord, what do you want me to wear this morning? Grow up. Get a life. Get a wardrobe. Make some decisions about life. And for those of us who rely too heavily on the mind, there are problems life presents us with which cannot be overcome just with the use of reason and good biblical principles. Reason and good biblical principles will not tell you whether to take the job in Seattle or Denver if everything else is equal. Do you understand? Reason will take you so far and then you go, oh my gosh, I've done a cost-benefit analysis and it's all the same. What do I do? Well, try praying and listening. (laughs) Revelation. Here's my point, and it's pretty obvious. Each one of us needs to ask ourselves whether or not we are attempting to rely too much on one or the other. So, really, this sermon should make everyone in the room uncomfortable. Because all of us, me included, are relying too much on one or the other. Most of the time, I rely too much on reason. But that's just how I'm wired. I need to grow. But others are just like, if you don't tell me what to wear, I'm not leaving the house. I actually know a guy who lives that way. He's single. (laughs) He's advancing in middle age, and he's all alone and always will be. Okay, he's probably... (laughs) The Lord just corrected me. Here's John's notes. About 4,000 of John's notes. You don't need all that for the announcements. I got two pages for a whole message. It was a backup sermon in case yours wasn't going well. (laughs) Did you hear that? He said it was a backup sermon in case yours wasn't going well. Well, let's just see to it. That's not going to happen. All righty then. Got control, got the anointing oil. We're good. Try to take the microphone now, little fella. Just try. Okay, it's time to get real. Mark, what do you really think? How does God... Now, now, having said all that about balance, okay, we're going into the revelatory side. How does God speak in revelation to us? And it's even a mistake to say speak, because speak implies an audible voice. And most of the time in your life, I've I've never heard the audible voice of God. But God does communicate frequently. It's cool if you hear the audible voice of God, but it's not required. You can receive his communications. He can speak slash communicate with you without saying a word. And we want to go into the ways that he does that. Here's the first one, which will be common to you as you begin to open your heart and your mind to receiving revelatory communications from God. This will be one of the first ones you encounter. And this we call mental pictures. And it responds to our senses. What do you see? Now, I'm I'm not talking about an open-eyed vision, although they do happen occasionally, but they're also, for most of us, quite rare. 
I'm talking about a mental image, what you're picturing or seeing in your mind's eye. The best story I have about this, really cool, happened a number of years ago in Canada, and my friends to whom it happened are sitting here today. They're in town from Arizona, and I told Joy she's going to feature in the sermon, so this one's for you. We were in a meeting of people, and we were training on how to uh, receive revelation from God, and I told them, just close your eyes, and we're going to pause for a minute and ask the Lord to communicate with us and share whatever mental picture, just plain, pops into your head. It's a pretty risky thing to do. So, there was a bunch of people in the room, and Joy was sitting there, and a new lady I'd never seen before was right in front of her, and Laurel was right in front of the new lady. So there's two that I know and one that I'd never seen before. And we begin sharing these things, and somebody said, uh, I closed my eyes and I, I saw this big, beautiful desk, and on this big, beautiful desk was like in those cartoons where there's a bag of money. It's a big leather bag of money with a strap, and it's got a dollar sign on it, you know, money. I saw that sitting on the desk, and I said, does that mean anything to anybody? in the room, and uh, somebody said, uh, Peter said, my company, a large, successful international engineering firm, we're going to the bank for financing on Tuesday, and if we don't get that money, our company is folding, and I'm out of a job. So I said, okay, you who got that picture, you hook up with Peter, you start praying about that situation. And as we went on, people were sharing things, uh, that they thought might be from God and hooking up with people that believed that picture, that insight was for them. Well, in a spirit of a good try is better than no try at all, Laurel, who's sitting in front of the new lady, puts up her hand and says, this is crazy, but I can't get it out of my head. I see a cat. A cat. Does cat mean anything to anyone here? Dies, dies a quick death. <laughs> but you have to try, right? So a few more minutes goes on, and then Joy, who's sitting right there, puts up her hand, and she said, look, I, I really don't want to share this, but Laurel shared cat, so i got to share this. I saw a bear. Big bear. Does bear mean anything to anybody here? Nothing. Off they go. Evening's going on. People are hooking up. Pretty soon, there's about five or six people left, three of whom are Joy, the new lady, and Laurel, the bear, the cat, and the new lady. So finally, we're near the end of this, and, and, I, and I looked at the new lady, and I said, look, you're here for something. Do you need prayer for anything? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, well, Joy and Laurel, would you go pray with this lady? And off they went to pray together. But half an hour later, they came back, and Joy and Laurel were lit. I mean, Holy Spirit, buzz, slash, glow, lit. And I knew something had happened. I said, what happened? And Joy said, you won't believe this. I said, what? She said, that lady is Russian. Her last name in Russian means bear. And the nickname that her parents gave her when she was a child was cat. <laughs> just the coolest thing. I mean, see, it's like God's letting that woman know, I know you, and I know your issues. You're in a safe place. I've called you by name. And I got to thinking about it. I just, it was just a couple of days ago. Why does God do stuff like this? Why the little, little tricky riddles? Why the weird stuff? Like, why didn't he just say her name, you know, you're Ivana, Ivana Popovich, or something like that? Why did he have to do this little, like, two-stage, got-to-figure-it-out crossword puzzle? Lord, why do you communicate like that? Because he does that weird stuff a lot. He said, why do you do that? Why don't you just make it easy? And he didn't speak to me. And, but I've been puzzling, and it came to me yesterday. I looked out at the garden, and I saw all these different shapes and plants and things. And I thought, man, you don't just communicate beauty one way. You're incredibly creative. The textures, the colors, the shapes, the sizes. Unreal. Do you know what? He communicates just like he does nature. He's creative. He's creative in the way he communicates. And sometimes it's in ways, the, the wonder of it just takes us by surprise. And we go, wow, you are wild. And he goes, yeah, don't ever expect this again. 
Next time it'll be something different. Next time it'll be different. Next time, I mean, it can be little, little, little spiritual quizzes. It can be symbolic representations, or it can be straight out blunt. This, that. Keeps us on our toes, makes him unpredictable. Sees to it we never get him in a communicational box. Oh, he's got to be listening and wondering. And he likes that. He likes that a lot. We were in Texas. Shelley and I were in Texas. And uh, uh, we were finishing a healing conference. It had gone well. We were walking out. We're in the foyer of the church. And this girl grabs Shelley and says, pray for me. I want you to pray for me. And I was standing a few feet away. And Shelley said, okay. And, and Shelley's been trained to listen first and pray second. Let me say that again. Shelley was trained to listen first and pray second. So we're not just praying our hopes or our ideas. We're, ho- we're listening to God to see if he might say something to direct our prayers. So Shelley stills and quiets herself, and she just waits, and I'm kind of watching. I'm about ten feet away. And Shelley says, I see, I see a black hole, and I get the word leg. Would you share that? You're the pastor's wife and you're on the road and your credibility's on the line and they ask you to pray for them and you see a oval-shaped black hole and you get the word leg. And Shelley says, I see this black hole and the word leg and I have not a clue what it means. And this woman turns and says, look at this. And she walks over and takes her husband's pants and pulls up her husband's pants. He'd just gotten out of the hospital with flesh-eating bacteria. They almost cut off his leg. And I saw it. There was a depression, a hole in his leg that was at least six inches long and two inches wide and it went down. All the tissue was black in his leg. And right away, I'm figuring, well, this is what we need to pray for. So now that the hard work is done, I step into, you know, (laughs) black hole leg. Grab a little glory, make my wife look good. So uh, I step over to pray, and Shelley goes, no, no, it's, it's, and the woman says, no, it's, he's fine, it's fine, the, the, the antibiotic worked, he, he's, it's, it's okay. And we pause, and Shelley waits, and she gets the word fear. One word, fear, pops into her head, and she turns to the lady and says, it's for you, the word fear is for you. You're afraid this is going to happen again, and you're going to lose your husband. And the lady says, yeah, that, I, can't get it. I can't get the thought out of my mind that he's going to catch this again and he's going to die. That's what we were supposed to pray for. Listen, wait, watch, hear. Simply share the picture, see where it leads. So, mental pictures. Number two, thoughts. What comes to your mind? The first time, the night I was filled with the Holy Spirit, never forget it, at a huge big healing meeting, and I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit while my friend was being delivered of something. This is amazing that you guys are here for this. Anyway, we had this profound experience, and we're both just completely other alternate universe. What's the thing, awareness? What's that word? Altered state. Holy Spirit altered state. And uh, my friend drags us down to pray for people. And this old lady comes forward for prayer. And I said, what do you want prayer for? And she said, arthritis. And I think, oh, that's easy. We'll pray for arthritis, for healing for arthritis. And I didn't just go to prayer. I paused and waited because that's what they told us to do. That was the instruction from the front. So I just closed my eyes and waited. The word frank. I see this word like, like almost like a, up on a projector. Frank, frank. Frank. And I said, who's Frank? And she said, Frank is my son who committed suicide three or four years ago. I thought, wow, what's that have to do with arthritis? So I waited because I didn't understand. And I waited. And then the word death, 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 like it was up on a screen. And I said, tell me about death in your family. And she said, Frank committed suicide a few years before that, my other son was killed at a train crossing when a train smashed into his truck and killed him. And then she started listing family members who had died premature and unnatural deaths. And it was like, 
whoa, this is not a normal situation. And I'm still wondering, what does this have to do with arthritis? I never had a prophetic word before in my life. This was the night of initiation into the things of the Spirit. And I didn't know what to do, even with all this information, and I'm looking at her, and all of a sudden, this full-blown paragraph comes into my mind. When she was young, she had a young man she was in love with and was going to marry, and she dumped him for someone else, and her marriage and life has not worked out. And she blames herself and she blames God for the loss of her first love. So I looked at her and I said, did you, when you were young, have a guy you were crazy about and you were going to marry him and then you dumped him foolishly for someone else and lost him and now your marriage is a disappointment? Yes. And then bitterness. And I said, and you're angry with yourself, aren't you? And she said, yes. And I said, and you blame God for that? And you blame God for the deaths in your family? And she said, yes. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to dot the last dot. And I said, listen, if you want to get healed, you've got to forgive yourself and you've got to forgive God. You've got to let go of this. You've just got to make a choice. And she said, no. She was 80 years old. She said, no, I will not do that. And I said, then you will die with arthritis. And walked away. Yeah. It can be one word, black hole, leg. Often the words are one word like, say, fear, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, self-hate, rejection, betrayal, whatever it is. Just share it. After we went through our church split in Canada, and I was at the worst point of my life, we went down to Toronto for this revival that was going on there. I walked in the room with Shelley, walked up. She, she recognized someone she'd known from Bible school or something. The person walked up to us, said hi, looked at me. We made small talk for about two minutes, and she said, you have... She goes like this. She goes, you have... Oh, yeah. She says, you have uh, arrows in your back. And there's a knife there and a hatchet. Betrayal was the issue I had been trying to cope with because my best friend put those things there. I mean, she just saw it in the spirit and said, this is what's going on in your life. I was like, yeah. yeah how'd you do that? <laughs> you sure read my mail. One word. Share it. One time... We were up in northern Alberta at a healing conference doing a thing in a small town and um, invited people to come forward for prayer and we were praying for healing and stuff. This young man walks up and I, and I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, nothing. I said, what are you coming up for prayer for? He said, well, I'm going to go out on the mission field soon and I just thought it would be good if I was blessed before I went out on the mission field. Just, just give me a general blessing. Well, it's easy. So instead of just God bless you for the mission field, I did what I'm trained to do. Close my eyes and wait. And as I'm closing my eyes to wait what to pray, this thought, clear as day, comes into my mind. He has been sexually molested by the leader of a cult. <laughs> God bless you in the mission field. Go. <laughs> in peace. But go. Don't. So I thought, you know, that's, that's crazy. This is this presentable, wonderful young guy. and He's going to be a missionary. He's got no problems. He didn't ask for anything. You know, so I, I, just, I just kept pushing it off. The thought kept coming, and I kept pushing it off, and I stalled, and I pushed it off. And so I, I blessed him to go to the mission field, and I wasn't going to speak. And we finished the blessing prayer, and I said, is there anything else going on in your life you'd like prayer for? And he said, real embarrassed, sort of looked at the floor. He said, yeah, there is. He said, we used to be part of this commune down the road. It was a rural farming community. We were part of this commune down the road, when I was younger and my parents, we all lived there and everything and there was this woman that ran the place and she sexually molested me. I said, yeah, I know. And we prayed about that, went through forgiveness and that kid went to the mission field with a blessing. Not a perfunctory little thing. He went free of something. You understand? So, risky as it is, we have to risk. 
It's risky, but that's the nature of how it works. Mental pictures, thoughts. Okay, here's a cool one. Because we just had an example with Chris, the shoulder. Feelings. Feelings. Now, this can be all sorts of feelings. It can be a physical, I call it referred pain. It's like where a nerve, one place, impingement here, causes a pain somewhere else. It's not at the site, it's somewhere else. It's referred pain. You can have the emotions of another person and not know there for another person. Remember the school of the supernatural, Chris? Your friend came and she'd been exposed to none of these things. And we went through this teaching and I taught. I said, you can have the emotions of someone else. If you're cruising along and you're feeling pretty good about life and you're pretty stable and all of a sudden, bam, you have this overwhelming, out of left field, bizarre depression, it may not be yours. So you pause and you stop and you say, Lord, Am I getting, is this somebody else's pain? Is this like a, a word of knowledge? Are you giving me this to pray for someone else? Well, she's driving down the road and her life is great. This two, what, two days later? Was it Tuesday? We had the thing on a Friday. Is it Tuesday? And she's driving down the road and all of a sudden she gets shame. I mean, this overwhelming shame and guilt rises up inside of her. And it twigs, she remembers this lecture. Oh, maybe this isn't mine. I haven't done anything wrong lately. Why should I feel like this? So she says, Lord, who is this? Is this another person? And the Lord speaks a thought in her mind. Yes, it's your Islamic friend so-and-so. She's been cheating on her husband. And she feels great shame about it. And she says, Lord, do you want me to talk to her? And the Lord says, yes. So she goes to her friend and says, this is what the Lord showed me. Are you having an affair? Are you cheating on your husband? She says, yes. And I, and, I want, and I hate it, and I'm sorry for what I did, but I don't know how to fix the marriage. And I'm afraid if I talk to him about it, I'll lose him. And this Christian says to her Islamic friend, I will go and help you talk to your husband. We'll do it together. And they do. And the guy forgives her. And they work it out. And they're together. I mean, we can... It's bless your enemies, those that hate you. Reach out and do the thing and watch God work. Now this, this woman knows the Christian God cares enough about me to supernaturally speak, someone, speak to someone and send them to my life. And that person cared enough about me to get involved. Is that cool or what? And that was like a couple months ago. This is fresh stuff. It may not just be um, an emotional communication. It might be physical, like the shoulder. All of a sudden you have a pain which you never had before and it's in some kind of context like this. And you say, Lord, is there someone here who has that pain? If that happens in church here, you come forward and you grab one of us and you say, I just experienced this, I don't know what it is. And we'll say, okay, let's find out. Let's see if there's someone out there that has that pain right here or the pain right here or the pain right here. And we'll pray. And that will guide us by the Holy Spirit to more effective prayer. Scripture. What does God say from His Word? And this isn't number four. This is always number one. Every other revelation you judge against Scripture. Every subjective guidance that you believe you're getting from God always must stack up against Scripture. So if, if your little inner voice tells you to do something sinful or something heretical, don't do it. That's not God. Always judge the subjective against the objective, and the objective is Scripture. But in the healing context, in the word of knowledge context, God will sometimes pop a Scripture into your life. I was at church, this is like 30-some years ago, we were going through a crisis in the church, and I was really questioning whether God was still with me and the issues I was speaking out on, or am I digging myself a deeper grave? And I'm sitting there, and it's communion, and the pastor's wife comes up, and she, she didn't do this very often, in fact, I'd never seen her do it before, in five or six years. She comes up the aisle and she stops at me, and she hands me this little paper, and she says, I was praying this morning before church, and the Lord told me to give you this verse and she gives me this verse it's in jeremiah and i looked it up you are my servant i have not rejected you 
I was questioning whether I was still in his will and doing the right thing. You're my servant. I've not rejected you. I put that thing in my Bible and I go back to it every number of months when I ask the Lord, how are we doing together? How are, we, are we okay? He goes, look that up. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was 30, almost, almost 30 years ago. That verse is still fresh. That was given to me by somebody in obedience. I'm so glad she did it. Do you understand? That's one of the screws that's held the mechanism together all these years. I wouldn't want to live without that verse. Now, this is a bit weird. Strong impressions. Sometimes God communicates without words or even without pictures. This is, this is, I'm not going to dwell on this because it's hard. It's weird. But it, I call it pre-thought. Inklings. Suspicions. Hints of things. Now it happens a lot in, in public ministry. When I'm away from here and doing prophetic ministry, I'll be at a church and I'll teach and then I know ministry time's coming and I start to get scared because I know I've got to do it soon and I've got nothing to do. So I'll stand there and I'm freaking. I mean, in, outside it's real controlled, but inside it's like, oh God, if you don't come through now, I'm an idiot. They're expecting it. This is the moment. I've preached as much as I can. I've stalled through, you know, now we do prophecy. And it's really spooky. And I'll stand there, okay, we're going to do prophecy. And everybody's like, yeah, because this is what they've been waiting for. And the Lord, I'll be like going like this, looking, and all of a sudden my gaze will lock on somebody. And it's just like a little missile, just locks on somebody. And I'm looking at them, and I know I'm going to have a prophetic word for them, and I have no clue what it is. None. And the Lord will say, start. And I'll go, start what? There's nothing to start. So I'll say, stand up. You and the such and And the guy stands up. And I still don't have a message. I don't. And I'm looking at him. And he's waiting. And the body's waiting. And I'm looking at him. And God, come on. I know. There's an inkling. There's, there's this thing beginning to form. You, you, you always panic at that. In the beginning, you always panic and freak. Worst thing you can do, just shut up and be still. Sometimes I've had to say, I say this frequently, um, I know I have a word for you, but it's not clear yet. Would you mind if we just paused and waited a few minutes? And they always say yes, because they'll do anything for the word. <laughs> they'll wait for weeks for the word. You know? So, so th- I, just, I just close my eyes, and I get still, and I just wait, and I don't panic. I trust God. I trust God for the revelation. You have to trust Him. If you start to freak, it clutters your emotions, darkens your mind, and you're not going to get what He's going to say. So just pause and wait. And then it starts to come. Sometimes one word. Rejection. Business. Whatever. If I'll say that first word, God will begin to give the rest. The revelation will flow and the word will come. Strong impressions. They, they start sort of as inklings. They're pre-thought. They haven't been articulated in words yet, but they're coming. Don't panic. Just wait. Dreams. Dreams are... I mean, dreams... We, we have a whole biblical history with dreams. We were going to Germany one time to do a healing thing, and we were doing our pre... Before we left, we were doing our pre-meetings, and... One woman said, I had a dream last night. She was on our team. She said, I had a weird dream last night. What was it? Well, we were in Germany and we were, we, were, we were supposed to pray for people. And all I saw was this woman's shoes. I said, what did they look like? She said, they looked like old ladies, you know, out of fashion, yet sturdy, good shoes. And she described them really, really well. And she said, what did I do with that? I said, I don't know. But when we're there, look for the shoes. So she was up there. There was 5,000 people in the room, and there was uh, 500 people on the ministry team. 500 of us, this huge facility. There's 5,000 people there, and, and you're you know, hoping to hook up with someone to pray for, and Linda is like walking around, just kind of like waiting for who to pray for, and she looks down, and there's the shoes from the dream. Exactly. And she looks up, and there's this return missionary this old lady, and she's got this arthritic thing where the muscles have contracted and her hands are like this and they won't open. She's been like this for a long time. She's in a really, really a bad way. But Linda's seen the shoes. 
You've got to understand at this point, the revelation that prepares you to go, gets you ready to pray, is the source of faith when you look at the hands. Because when you look at the hands, your heart goes, oh, God, no. Ah, not that, not that. I can't do that. But you know, I've already seen the shoes. It's going to be a healing here tonight. Because I've already seen the shoes. So she says, let's pray. And they pray. And that woman, it took about 20 minutes, but that woman's hands came out and were functional at the end of that prayer. That is a miracle. I mean, that's so cool to see happen. It only happened because of the dream of the shoes. We were going to Fiji about five years ago with my friends from San Francisco. One of the wives had never come with her husband on the trip, but she somehow hooked up for this. And she was sitting at the, at, she was doing the dishes in the sink and there was a, a window in front. And she was doing the dishes questioning whether she should go or not. Oh, he always, you know, my husband flows in the spirit and he gets this and that and I never get anything. And it's such a drag. And God, should I really be going? It's a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden she has a vision, open-eyed vision. She looks at the window and all of a sudden there's a silhouette of a woman's head, life-size silhouette of a woman's head in the window, backlit by the window. So all she sees is a silhouette and it's really crystal clear. And she's not used to this. She doesn't have this stuff. And she says, God, what is this? And he says, the reason you're going to Fiji. Okay, I go. They arrive in Nandi at night. They go, they get up in the morning and they sit in the coffee shop of their hotel having breakfast. And there's a set of doors that open to the east and the sun is coming through, lighting the room. And this bus girl comes over to clear the table and she reaches over to take the dishes and the lady looks up and she sees the silhouette backlit in the windows and it's perfect. It's what she saw in the vision. And she says, when do you get off work? And this young lady says, four o'clock. And she says, I'll meet you here at 4.15 for coffee. It's important. So the girl says, okay. So they get together for coffee And this lady says, I just have to tell you outright, here's what happened. And she tells her the story. She says, you're the reason I came here. What's going on in your life? The young girl says, I was raised as a Christian and uh, I made a mistake and I had a baby when I wasn't married. And now I have that baby and I had no means of supporting myself. And this member of parliament, the Fijian parliament, took me in as, and I am his kept woman. And he has an apartment for me and he lives in such and such with his wife but he comes and sees me several times a week for sex. And I'm his kept woman. And I really hate it. And my friend says, I'm the reason, you're the reason I came. You need to break this off. God is going to take care of you. He will find a way to support you. You can't go on like this. And she says, yeah, you're right. And she breaks down and she repents. And they start hooking her up with other people in the community that will help her and take care of her. Dreams are powerful. God communicates through dreams. Okay, how do you know a dream is from God and not too much steak the night before? Because I get that all the time. I get those overheated furnace dreams where my little body's trying to digest a steak the size of a small truck. You know. Okay, I've, I don't know, I can't say for sure, but this is what I've noticed. The dreams that are from God are always super vivid. And you always remember them in the morning. And you can't get them out of your head. They stick. And they're vivid. And they're powerful and you can't shake them. And there's this like inkling suspicion. There's something to this. Just stop right then and there and ask God, what are you trying to say to me? And very often, the whole interpretation will come to you. He'll, he'll, he'll show you the symbols. He'll say, this means this and this is this. And, and then you'll say, what do you want me to do? And he'll give you direction. Hearing his thoughts. Thoughts rising up in your mind, answering the questions about the dream. Okay, the last one really quick. This has only happened to me a couple times and it's really, really bizarre. But it's worth, it's worth sharing. I call this sanctified imagination. Spiritual daydreaming. First time it happened was in our connect group 
20 some years ago. And we were going to have, we were in a house church with about 50 people. It was growing and developing. It ended up becoming a church. And um, I was in my prayer time in the morning in the tub where I always prayed and having a nice time with the Lord and things were good. And I was reading the passage I was supposed to and I'd repented and I'd done the missionaries and I'd done my friends and my family and I prayed all this stuff. And my mind began to wander. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I have this sick thing that I do, my mighty man of God imagination, where I fancy myself doing great ministry, moving in Holy Spirit gifts and healing people and having offerings and you know, all that good stuff. It was a joke, by the way. The offering part was a joke. So my mind wanders, and in this fantasy, my mighty man of God fantasy, I'm at the, the Connect group that night, and we're doing communion, which we do. And this girl named Jan comes forward in my imagination and I look at her and I say, Jan, before you take the elements, you know, mighty man of God, this is what your mother said about you when you were a child. And I rattled off a bunch of negative stuff. This is what God says to you now and the truth against every one of those curses. And I catch myself at the end of this doing my mighty man of God fantasy And I realize it's egotistical, self-centered, blah, 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 narcissistic, blah, blah, blah. I should be contemplating the Lord. I should be worshiping. I should be praying for the missionaries. I should be repenting. So I repented for that. Got that little fantasy right out of my head. Went on with the rest of my day. Get to the growth group. Communion time. Jan comes forward. And I look at her. And without thinking, I say, Jan, this is what your mother used to say about you when you were a kid. And I rattle off these things. And her eyes go big. And she goes, how did you know that? And I said, I don't know. I said, but this is what the Lord says. And I rattle off the antidote to those curses. And she goes, wow, this is it. Because we weren't doing a lot of this in those days. This is, this is incredible. And I said, Jen, I'm having a deja vu. Have, have I said these things to you before? She goes, no. I said, have we ever talked about these things before? She goes, no. I said, I'm having a deja vu. Are you having a deja vu? She goes, no. I said, man, that's just weird. I get home and I'm lying in bed and all of a sudden I remember that's the, that's the mighty man of God fantasy I had this morning. Everything. That's why I deja vu'd. That was a stupid little thing I was distracted by in prayer that I thought was sin. Hello? It was the Holy Spirit. Second time it happened to me, I'm going on vacation been working really hard in the church, don't want to be spiritual. People don't want to be spiritual. Say with me, there's times when you don't want to be spiritual. All right. So I'm looking forward to my mother's teriyaki chicken wings. She always, when I'm coming, bakes this huge tray. It lasts for three days. Just Chicken wings and um, sailing and fishing with my dad. Salmon fishing off the West Coast with my dad. So I am not spiritual. Do you understand? I'm there to party, eat, watch football, and fish. So about the third day in, my dad comes to me and says, my friend Pat has this friend who has cancer. And she's dying of cancer, probably will die, but they want us to pray for her. Will you come this afternoon and pray with us for this lady? I don't know who she is, but Pat will take us. We'll meet, it. We'll meet Pat. So, you know, it's, it's the last thing in the world I wanted to do. The number one last thing but my mom's made the wings and they love me, so I owe them. So I said, okay, I'll come pray with you. Like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. We get in the car, don't know who we're going to. Pat's going to meet us, we've got the address. We're driving down the road and I start daydreaming. And I have my mighty man of God fantasy. And I see myself get out of the car and we walk up to the front door and ring the bell and the door opens and there's Pat and her friend and Pat says, this is my friend and I stop her and I go, no, Pat. I'll take it from here. No, Pat, just a minute. Your name is Julie and this is what the Lord says to you. And just when I hit the point, your name is Julie and this is what the Lord says to you, I catch myself in the car. What are you doing? You arrogant, self-centered idiot. This is not about you. This is about them. This is not about your ministry and how good you look and your powerful prophetic gift. This is about... And I repent. I mean, I genuinely... Oh, God, what's wrong with me? I'm sick. I'm corrupted. I'm, I'm flesh. I'm worse than flesh. I'm rotten flesh. So I clean up my heart and I get right with the Lord and we get to the house 
and we ring the doorbell and the door opens and Pat says, David and Barbara, this is my friend, Julie. Oh, God, I was so bummed. It's like, what have I done? If I'd let the fantasy run on 30 more seconds, I would have had the word of the Lord for this lady. But I repented and stopped it. So I'm like, no, no. And we're there for like an hour and a half the whole time. Jesus, please, 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 before we go, tell me what you were going to say to her. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and nothing happens. And we're at that let's go home part. You know, you're standing up, you're moving towards the door, and I'm going, God, come on, I was an idiot, I was wrong, I repent, I'm sorry, give it to me. And he does. He speaks into my head, and this is what he said. She has two boys. They're in their late teens, early 20s. She's resigned herself to death, but she cannot turn her boys over to me. She's afraid for how they were going to grow up and what they will be without her influence. And she wants them to be Christian. So I said, excuse me, Julie, but before we go, do you have two boys? Yes. Are they about this age? Yes. Are you worried that if you die, there'll be no one there to pray for them and no one there to see them become Christian men. And she said, yes, that's my fear. Bigger than the fear of dying. And I said, well, I have a word for you. And she said, what is it? And I said, I don't know. I just had that part. Can we wait for a minute? I didn't know. I got the first part. I don't know what he's going to say to her. So I wait. Sure enough, God speaks. I mean, it's simple. You know what he's going to say. He said, they were mine before they were yours. And they will be mine after they were yours. And you can trust me to take care of those boys. That's all she needed. Just that one word. I hope, I really hope that this talk today has expanded the boundaries of your perception of how God communicates. I mean, remember the plants and the colors and the shapes and the textures and the richness. If this is what he does to make a garden, how much more so when he's talking to his kids? You with me? You've got to take some chances. And you don't take chances by saying, thus saith the Lord. You just take chances by sharing what you've got and seeing where it leads. And sometimes you're wrong. But that doesn't matter. God's thrilled with tries. He's as happy with the try that's wrong as a try that's right. Because both smell of obedience. They have the scent of obedience. Do you understand? So go take risks. Expand the horizons. In your family your friends, your working relationships, and even people on buses and strangers and people at bonds. All right? Oh, let me pray for you. Let me pray. I'll stand up, please. I'm reading a book on impartation, and I really am beginning to take it seriously after all these years. Okay, close your eyes. If, if you want a stirring up of these kinds of communications in your life, and not everybody is ready or at the same stage, and I'm not suggesting you have to be, don't do it unless it's real for you. But if you want a stirring up of these kinds of revelatory gifts operating in your life, and you are willing in advance to take a risk, and you're willing to say today, I will take a risk the next time something like this happens, I'm going to give it a try. If that is the case, open your hands in front of you like you're about to receive something. Holy Spirit, you are so good. You are interesting. You are unusual. You are unpredictable. You are exciting. Above all, you are trustworthy. And you wish to use us. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now an impartation over every person who's asking for this, over every person whose hands are open to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I impart to you what's been given to me. And I say, flow and perceive and see and hear and feel and sense the guidance of God for the blessing of the people around you. Now say yes to it. Yes. Just say yes to yes. it. Yes.
Let it come, Lord. Let it come, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, hey, I hear the Lord saying that uh, we're going to eat at... uh, at, uh